Hello and welcome back to the No Limits podcast with Rick. Hope you've been having an awesome day so far. We are back with a Q&A with the Q&A guest as always, fellow No Limits coach Anthony Satoma and a repeat guest and legend, friend of the show, Mason Eady. How are you doing, boys? Yeah, very well. Thank awesome, you. Bro. Excited for this one. Glad to get on with your boys. Yeah, yeah very and, keen. Uh, very keen for the uh, round table, bro. That's it. The first round table on the podcast and plenty more to come, I bet, for sure. And hopefully I won't do my usual stuffing up of the dates. As I've mentioned in this podcast before, I managed to do it again uh, with the time zone difference between Melbourne and Queensland, but we made it. So great for the boys are here and very keen to provide some value in this one and uh, hopefully some laughs as well, which I'm sure with Anthem Mace here, we'll get some plenty, we'll get plenty of laughs in. So what we'll do, we'll go like question to question to question, and hopefully we cover everything very clearly. So I'll start off with one of the first questions I got: How to improve self-belief? And we could put that as like what you guys potentially do to help with your self-belief, whether that's in just you know training, nutrition, business, life in general. So I'd say, yeah. say for me, like mine's probably changed. Um, mine used to be just reading a bunch of self-help books. So, tr- so trying to find ways to implement things um, to improve self-belief. So whether it's like journaling, affirmations, but then Hormozy actually said something that really hit me where it's like to have self-belief, you basically need an unstackable, deniable proof of what you are. Like, so you need to actually build the proof to build self-belief. Um, and that kind of changed my whole mindset around it. So now it's more about like proving to myself that I can do things and then that keeps building my belief. So that's kind of what I do now. Um, so I just try things. If it doesn't work, try again. And if you keep trying at something, you're always going to get there in the end. So just don't quit. And that builds my belief that I can do things. So for an example was I was always kind of the dumb one at school, always never really cared about school, shit grades, didn't really give a shit. So then when I went to uni, I was like, oh, I don't want to tell anyone I'm going to uni in case I do a, do a bad job. But then I really gave it my all and actually started getting really good grades. And I was like, oh, I'm actually not so fucking dumb. But if I had never done that, I would have always thought that I wasn't very book smart or educated, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that was um, something I went through very similar as well. It was like, because I didn't see the value in school, I didn't apply myself. And then I thought <laughs> I was just dumb. And then once I found something that I actually find value in, then I was able to apply myself a lot more. And then I was like, ah, I'm actually, you know, not as dumb as I thought. Definitely yeah. not the smartest, um, but not as dumb as I thought. So that's that's great. Like the work comes before the self-belief, mm-hmm. which oftentimes I think a lot of people get stuck because they think they need all the self-belief and motivation before they do the work. But oftentimes it's the reverse. And how do you have self-belief if you've never done anything? Exactly. And that's like the the saying the positive affirmations without doing the work. You're kind of like missing the forest for the trees. <laughs> it's like the work is where that self-belief comes. It's like jujitsu or like wrestling and like I'm the best wrestler, but you've never wrestled before. Yeah. How are you going to have self-belief on the mats until you've had a few you know, roles, gone through some, you know, turbulence, had some setbacks, learn from them. And then once you overcome those setbacks, is another thing I find. 
the self-belief comes from like negative experiences and then overcoming them and realize, oh, fuck, I'm not made of glass. Like I can overcome this shit. Yeah, yeah very, very true. I'll say for me on that end, with some situations, it's a bit different. Like you said, Ricky, like with something like wrestling or fighting, you definitely need to have some type of um, resume that you've acquired in the past to kind of build a foundation for yourself to believe to at least have like a backbone on. It's like, oh yeah, I believe in myself because I've been doing you know, this one sport activity hobby for X amount of time and you've developed all the kind of skills or lessons that you've learned from it. Yeah, for sure. But I think in terms of self-belief, a big one would might be like comparing yourself to other people. Like you don't have the belief in yourself because other people do things a bit better than you or whatnot. But remembering at the end of the day, like we're all cut from the same cloth. I breathe oxygen just as much as you guys do. Like we're flesh and blood at the end of the day. I think idolizing other people or thinking that they're better than you at certain things just because they've done X and you haven't done X. It's like, not really, you know, like you're, you're all human. I think a lot of people are really hard on themselves when it comes to self-belief, like saying um, you're going to be your own worst critic. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think, I think understanding if anyone can do it, it's, it's like the person next to you and you and you guys are both the same at the end of the day. It's like there's nothing intrinsically more special about Rick than there is about Mason than there is about me compared to the person who's listening. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I think remembering that it definitely helps with, with some self-belief on my end, at least. That's what I've experienced in the past. I think turning a, turning a little bit of the mindset from it's a competition, me versus that person, to you can probably learn a little bit from the next person and kind of use whatever they've used to build yourself up in a sense. Um, I think that's helped a lot as well. For sure. And it's like, we're on the same, like we're on the same journey. They might just be level 20 and you might be level one and you're comparing yourself to level 20. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to feel like you're behind, but we're all on our own journey. And this is we're something that the same game as well, though, like we're all on the, our own journey, but everyone's playing the exact same game. Yeah. Yeah. And if you play the long game before you know it, and you're not in a rush to prove to others that, you know, you're as good as, or like, that's just something that I used to make a mistake of. I used to like try rush everything just to like prove myself and maybe impress others. But then I found that when you play the long game, it's just a matter of time showing up and you enjoy the process so more because it's coming from a place of, you know, the Kaizen philosophy, like 1% better every day, opposed to, I just want to get there and just show everyone how great I am where, Becoming is better than being. I like the ego out of it a little bit as well. Mm. I think, and I think also another one on the back end of that, Ricky, um, and it's just iconic that the three of us are here now, but that Chinese, the old Chinese farmer story that you said, like not even <laughs> believing in yourself, but believing that the position you're in at the moment is is for the best. Like you are where you need to be for whatever reason. You might not be able to see it yeah. now, but in hindsight, looking back, it's like very um, – it's very important for your character development. Like, I don't know if you want to like give a little bit of, of the story for the listeners, but you say it best of the, of the Chinese farmer with the, with the kid, you know what story I'm talking about? So the, is this the one where it's like the Chinese farmer, he's got a kid and then his kid like breaks his leg. Yes. And yes. Yes. That's right. The town's right. like, Oh, that's so bad. And then he says, maybe, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then like, there's a war and then, everyone that is of a certain age gets like put into the war and then he um oh no so how it started sorry so he started with, with the horses, horse i think yeah, yeah, yeah horse. The horse arrived and then everyone's like oh that's so amazing maybe kid rides a horse breaks his leg oh that's so bad maybe gets asked to go uh, get some what well, doesn't end up in the war 
oh, that's so um, good, maybe, and then something else happened. But then yeah. you get the thing. Long, yeah, yeah. Long story short, it's um, it's like your oh, there's always going to be like a positive that can happen further along down the line. You know what I mean? Like if you break your leg now in the story, it's kind of like, yeah, it's really bad. You've broken your leg, you're in pain, whatever. You're not going to be as physically active, or whatever it is. But then not too long after, China was going to war or whatever it is in the story and they needed troops and this guy was under a certain age, but because he had this broken leg, he didn't go to war. And it's kind of like, well, would you have rather the broken leg or the risk of potentially dying out on battlefield? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. And maybe potentially even another one for self-belief, like, um, just enjoying the situation that you're in, even though it might not potentially be the most advantageous for how you're feeling. But, um, mm. but yeah, understanding that in the long run is probably where you should be. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know much about nutrition. Like I don't know what to eat, when to eat, but like you're on the journey, you're learning. And even though you might feel like, oh, like this, my fitness pal, it's still my head in, like I've got to track my food, but like enjoy that journey, enjoy that challenge. Because before you know it, you overcome that. And then you go to the next yeah. level. There's going to be a new challenge and then the next level. So it's not like um, there's never life without challenges. You just upgrade your problems. And realizing mm-hmm. that everyone you're looking up to went through the same shit. Like our clients yeah. look up to yeah. us like, oh, they know everything about nutrition. It's like I was struggling with my fitness pal a few years ago, not knowing how the fuck to use it and how to track mm-hmm. macros and what a protein was. And we all went through the same thing. No one is just born and knows what they actually do their profession they have to learn it develop the skills and then they build that belief in themselves so Anthony, i had a question for you what do you think of people like conor mcgregor for example who believed in himself even before even when he had nothing like what do you put that down to i'm actually curious because like for him there he is like you hear about all of these like not all of them but a lot of these high performers where like he had a lot of visualization where he'd drive his piece of shit car living in a um commission flat and picturing that he was driving a Rolls Royce and he knew that that was going to happen one day. So what's your thoughts on and Arnie? I see him in the background too. He was the same. He's, he, he knew what he wanted. So what do you think their mindset is and how do they develop that? I saw this video the other day and you know what? To answer your question, I'm going to ask a bit of a question back. If you were just walking in the street and then there was like five people that went to jump you, what would your automatic thought process be in that moment, do you think? Uh, Take out the closest one as quick as possible. Yeah, mate, you know, realistically, when you're thinking about it now, five people jump you, you're gone. See you later. One of them might mm-hmm. be going down potentially too, but like you're you're not going to make it out of there. But no, no chance. Having the self belief in that moment that you can single handedly take out five people is going to be the best bet that you will have to take out those five people. So mm-hmm. if you're on this journey for whether or not it's winning um, a bodybuilding competition, winning you know UFC titles having the self-belief that you are the only person that can win it is going to be your best bet in winning it at the end of the day. And it might, it might be, it might be a meta truth in terms of it might not actually be the truth. It's something you're convincing yourself of. Um, but yeah, I think having that mindset is probably going to be the only thing that's going to guarantee uh, the most likely, um, I don't know, favorable outcome in that situation. And then you see Ronnie done it a lot as well. He was, when he was, um, when he was posing for the Olympia, he had the crown and the cape and he had his staff because he thought he genuinely believed himself to be a king, you know, like he genuinely thought I'm a king. And then what happened? Everyone's like, this man's the goat. So I think self-belief is a big one as well, but it's kind of like what we were saying before. Does the belief in oneself before the action, can you, can you justify it? Is it, is it just cocky at that point? Or is it like, well, this is the, I've kind of convinced myself that this is the only mindset that I can have to achieve what I need to achieve. 
or do you need the action first? And then you can kind of use that as your self-belief. But yeah, man, I think a lot of people can be misunderstood in that type of situation. A lot of people think, um, you know, Connor's real cocky or real up himself or very nonchalant about the people that he's dealing with. But um, there's videos of him like 10, 12 years ago saying that he's lost his mind. And as long as, as if he can, um, if, if his wife's got a different car for every day of the week and, he's, and his kids have an education, he knows he's made it, you know? So you can kind of tell from the very beginning he had good intentions and just the way he got there was probably not, um, I don't know, looked upon the best with everyone from how aggressive, I guess, his approach is. But it worked for him at the end of the day and he, he set out to achieve everything that he said he set out to achieve. So that goes off to him, I guess. But um, but yeah, I think I think convincing yourself that you can... Uh, that you're the best person for the job regardless of the job will, will probably be most favorable yeah what about yourself though what do you think about it no, i agree and that's that's why i guess i asked the question because i know my answer before of the self-belief was building that stack of proof before you have the self-belief but then you look at like i said at someone like connor who was living on the dole like living on you know government money he barely had a car had no money coming in and he still had that that belief with zero proof that he could do shit <laughs> so almost like a positive delusion that he was telling himself like to to get him to where he needed to go and i also i think it's very underrated but i think um i think his missus needs a big pat on the back as well 100 percent, i agree yeah yeah. i think because he wanted to quit multiple times and she held him him straight so yeah yeah agreed 100 what about you ricky what do you reckon i think it's a spot-on claim and and what a a spot-on approach because it's something that came to mind as you guys were talking whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. Yeah. 100%. Now, is there people out there with Conor McGregor's mindset that haven't risen to his accolades? Of course. But they're probably much better than where they would have been if they didn't have that mindset. So it's also like knowing who you are. Like I'm not the type of person that would be like out there saying like, I'm going to take over the coaching game. I'm going to be the best coach in the world. Like that's not my character. But some people might be, like that, you know, try it on, see how it goes. But mm. I definitely believe in the power of visualization because so much of my life is things that I've written down and visualized and almost obsessed about. Um, and that came from a place of running away from things that I didn't want, like knowing where like, all right, shit, like I don't want to do roof climbing for the rest of my life. And then moving forward to a, a goal that I wanted to achieve, which I'm sure, Mace, things that you've achieved, same deal. You believed in yourself. You've seen it before you've been there. Anth, I'm sure you're exactly the same. You've seen things in your mind before you've actually achieved it. But I still believe that the most beneficial thing for self-belief is getting the work in beforehand, building that stack of proof like Mason mentioned, and it really does compound from there. I think, I think even having that little bit of belief to take the risk as well. Like, cause if you don't have mm-hmm. that belief in yourself, you're not like, if I didn't think I could do something, I'm not going to do it. Like, what's the point if I'm just know that I'm going to fail it. So I think having that little bit of belief in yourself before you make the call and then building yeah. on that belief as you're doing the thing, I think that can also be super helpful as well. And that's what I've found for me. Like, I think I can do this and I'm believing myself enough to take that risk. And yeah. then once I'm taking that risk, the more I get better at something or the more I tick things off, I'm like, Oh, I'm building more and more proof that I can do it. And then that leads me to have more self-belief that I can do the next thing and the next thing. So kind of like snowballs. And then Which do I you think find when you're going through that journey, you're so infatuated by the process that you get there and you're like, oh shit, it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I did a post on it a while back with like even this whole 
fitness journey type of thing with being a coach, I kind of like when I first did it, I was kind of like, oh, I'll give it a crack. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I think it will because it's my passion. And then I got like, I just didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then like two years later, I'm like, oh, I'm actually not too bad at this. Now I look back to that time, I'm like a fucking terrible, but I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm actually getting pretty good at this. And then um, now you just keep building and building and building. It's like, yes, I still want to be better. Yes, I still want to learn more. Yes, I still want to be a better coach, but I'm building that belief in myself that I can do those things from where I was to where I am now. Fucking nice. Which I think Next question. I think you were saying, Ricky. Oh, yeah, go. No, go, go, go. I think going off what you were saying, having the self-belief being like one thing, being like the mindset, so to speak, and then having the behavior or the, the physical outcome of that being two separate um, sides to the coin. So I think mindset's very important to have the genuine self-belief that you can achieve something. But I also think unless you have that as the backbone of all of your, I don't know, to justify your behavior in a sense. So it's like, um, I'm going to show up to training every day, twice a day, whatever it is in any situation it is, I guess. And then having the backup belief that I'm literally going to be the best in the world, those two hand in hand is what's going to, I think, breed success. I don't think having the mindset without at least the um, the action is going to do anything. And then that will go off the backs of what Mason was saying. And then they can kind of have like a positive feedback loop in a sense. It's like, I'm the best. I can you know achieve anything. And then you have the behavior and then behavior then puts in place to justify and then warrant more of the self-belief and then you kind of just like feed it up like that. Um, but I think yeah, both of them is just important as each other, not just the belief because everyone can walk around with a head on their shoulders, you know what I mean? But um, unless I think you start developing the resume, it's it's kind of pointless or null and void. I'm going to be a millionaire but doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to stop believing you pretty quick when you're talking yourself up with no fucking action backing it up and no result. I'm sure we all know you some of them in our lives that are always going to be one. Always yeah. claiming, but then no action. Yeah, yeah, no result. That's it. All right, next question, Ant. Uh, all right, I've only got one here, so we'll um, we'll jump into it. What are your thoughts on no fap or semen retention? Um, and I think maybe <laughs> maybe more from a performance point of view in the gym or not. I'm not too sure. But if you guys want to, if you have any experience, you want to list off with that, or you know some positives and negatives that come to mind. I'm sure. We've all spoken about it or thought about it or done it in the past, maybe, or maybe not. Yeah. Rick, yeah. you're up. You can take this one first. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm well-versed in the um, research on this. I've only read, I think, 50 papers on it thus far. Um, but <laughs> with the, the NoFab... So Listen to some human men as well. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know much about the research and all that, Um I've heard some bold claims. And is it something that's worth trialing? Yeah, fucking know. See how you feel. I definitely notice. I don't know about you boys, but if like, you know, we have a bit of a fun whatever event and the next day or like trying to train the hour after, I'm not doing my best session. Yeah, no, I'm not quite like, after, but I'm going to go to bed. Nah, so and sometimes I do find that like if I happen to go a longer period of time, I do find I've got a bit more energy across the day, but I think it's a mm. sweet spot. I think if someone has like a, a porn addiction or something like that, they're probably worth tra- it's probably worth trialing this out. There was a guy here who was prepping for a fight, and one of his like claims was that I haven't had sex in you know sixty days before the fight. This fight means everything to me, and that was one of his bold claims. Would have it helped? Maybe, but I think it's something that, you know, 
taking anything to the extremes, either end of the scale, like from one end, you're like, laptop is just constantly got Pornhub up and it's just anytime you get some free time, that's what you're doing. And the other one is like, you just never have any release whatsoever, ever. May be okay, but I'm not sure. So yeah, it's a tough one. Whoever's asking, try it for a month. See how you go. A month. <laughs> Answers like fuck that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I um, yeah, that's that's a month is heaps of time. I tried to do it last year, November, um, no, not November, and I think I got I've done a little bit of research into this topic before I asked the question. Obviously, so when we asked that, I had something semi valuable to give to people who's listening. Um, but one of them that I found here, it was called, <laughs> it's called. Um, increased risk of nocturnal emissions. So I'm just going to be assuming it's like having a wet dream or wet something dream. like yeah. that. Um, nocturnal yeah, so emissions. <laughs> Fuck, that's me. Nocturnal <laughs> Very good, man. I like it. I think I tried it. And I think I got to like 11 days and then um, my body wanted to emiss yeah. the nocturnals. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think if you can I think uh, a few negatives that I came across when I was looking into it would just be the physical discomfort of it. Um, so potentially just the semen retention itself can be painful. Um, and just maybe if there's any psychological stress just due to the um, suppression of, of sexual frustrations, I guess, and the release. Mm-hmm. I think they might be the only negative things you want to look out for. Um, and I think I heard somewhere that fighters tend to do it because of that, because it makes them a little bit more irritable and because mm-hmm. like they're more frustrated. So then when they fight, there's a little bit more of a like a, you know what I mean? Like uh, inside of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there the positives, go. I mean, I've when I tried it, I think the positives, like energy levels, like you were saying, Rick, uh, mental mm. clarity. Um, there's a heightened like spiritual and emotional connection to a to a lot of things in oneself. Um, and then even here, I, I don't know, I, this wasn't from me. This is what I looked up. But another positive is said, um, improved sexual performance when you do have sex. It's like it, it kind of entices you to. Um, so no fat kind of entices you to be more. Help you out, boys. Like seek Connected. out female attention. Yeah, instead yeah, of just yeah. doing it self, urging you to sit down. You're like, oh, whatever. Like, blah blah blah. Not see you later. Personal clarity. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Not to mm-hmm. that. Get the personal clarity. You'll be searching for, you know, putting more work in. Maybe having more of the balls to ask a girl on a date, and you know, put oh, the work I see in. what you did there with me that, huh? <laughs> it wasn't the best part. All right. <laughs> Next one, Mason. Mason. Mace. Um, I think similar to like what you guys said, like that's something I've probably looked into it more from like a a porn side of things and if someone's like getting that more addicted side of things. But I feel like from a discipline standpoint, if that's something you struggle with, like that could be a discipline thing as well. Like if cause I like a challenge, so it's like the, the harder something gets, the more I'm going to be like, yeah, fuck, no one else is going to do this. Like I'm going to make sure I can do it. Um, mm. So I think like from a discipline standpoint, it can be good, like trying to really test yourself. Um, and also the research that I've seen as well is definitely like what Anne said, where it's like, if you can get, it's basically like all reward with no risk. So you're mm-hmm. not having to ask a girl out, you're not having to like put yourself out there. Like, and it's, if you're kind of sitting there with the laptop open, it's like no one, I think Jordan Peterson said it. He's like, no one feels better after <laughs> like they, they watch porn and then they do their thing. And then no one sits there and goes, I'm an alpha. I've like, no just, no just taken the day by storm. It's like, no, you sit there and you're like, cry yourself yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm I think a, from that I'm standpoint, um, yeah, and that's something that I've done for fuck the last probably four or five years. Like mm-hmm. something I've really been conscious of, like stayed away from porn altogether. Um, mm-hmm. Not something I really wanted to get to, to get into anymore. Um, so stayed away from all of that and just tried to yeah, like really be connected to myself um, and not just be doing stuff like that just for just for the sake of it because I'm bored. Yeah. So, and I think the spiritual connection and, and whatnot, I felt that's like a big, big win from doing it. But again, mm. like you said, the, the kind of negatives, I'm sure for some people, um, you know, could be pretty high as well. Like with regards to if they've got a high libido and they just can't, it's like, well, um, yeah, that's yeah, that, fucking rough. Was, and they're going to be probably more aggressive, more moody, and especially if they're on PEDs, like that can also play a bit of a role. Like you get someone who's got like three times the normal test levels or four times the normal test levels. It's like, can you tell them, hey, you ain't doing nothing. It's like, good luck. It's probably, yeah. like you said, the, what is it? Nocturnal emissions are probably going to be high. <laughs> I love that too. Nocturnal emissions. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I read it, I was like sitting there, I was like, what the fuck? Nocturnal emissions. And then it hit me. I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> A bit of wordplay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mason, I, think next um, question. I think I think now though, like I was just gonna say, I think with that too, like the the porn side of things is fucking pretty dangerous too. With a lot of people, like so much access at such a young age, um, and oh, I think that's damaging yeah. a lot of people. Like I watched a doco on it, probably like a ninety minute doco a couple of weeks back, and they were saying like guys feel that they have to perform a certain way when they do end up having sex because of all the stuff that they're watching, and then girls feel they have to do things that they probably don't want to do based on what mm. they've seen. And then it kind of just, they have this, they have sex, but it's a very disconnected sex. Like they're both doing things that they don't probably feel comfortable doing when, yeah. you know, when you join with someone, it should be something that you're both comfortable in. It should be a good experience for both um, and a connection rather than just like, I saw this on the fucking Pornhub or whatever it is. And let's try that. So I can, then I actually think that disconnected. Is, I actually think that's probably the most damaging thing that being addicted to something like porn or masturbating can be just be like your tolerance build up to actual stimulus yeah. needed could like mm-hmm. potentially be the most harmful thing, not only to you as an individual, but relationships that you have around you, the way you perceive things, your, your outlook on certain things. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. probably one of the most damaging things. Yeah. So I think like, if you notice it in yourself, like your tolerance or like the things that you're into just start getting like a little bit out of hand. Like, for example, like you can no longer go to Pornhub because their stuff's just too vanilla. Like when you're there, like mm-hmm. that will probably be your, that'll probably be your green flag to like, to yeah, take a bit of a cue. Yeah, and I think also how you look at people too, like when you, you know, when you go out with someone or you, you know, you see the opposite sex, whether it's a female looking at a male or a male looking at a female, or if it's they're gay, male looking at male, whatever it might be, how do you look at that person? Like, are you looking at them yeah. like you're yeah. looking at freaking Pornhub, or are you looking at them like they're an actual human being? Like, if you're starting Changes to look the at lens. them like they're a piece of meat, yeah, you're probably Changes. in a bad spot, and you probably should be getting some help. <laughs> I'd say that's yeah. a very good point. That's a very good point. Sweet, Mace. Next question, my man. Mace, next question. Am I doing one? All right, cool. Let's go. <laughs> so let's have a look. Um, I guess we could probably blend most of these in together. So like what to do for muscle recovery and how to make the most out of your nutrition for energy in the gym. Okay. And? Oh, you're to go first in this one? Yeah, go for it. All right, I'll say for muscle recovery, I think for muscle recovery, a big thing that's overlooked um, is actually rest, like not training the same muscle group when you have, like if you're, if you're experiencing DOMS, 
um, and you've got a second, you know, a second day during the week where you're, you're hitting the same muscle, but for that second time, and you're tired or you're you're sore or you're whatever it is, and you're training that muscle again. Um, I think the the negative performance outcome that that could have is going to set you back a lot more than if you've done the training session in a sense. So I think recovery, uh, not hitting the same muscle while you're still sore is definitely a big one that I think is overlooked with people just in terms of their training frequencies. Um, like some people would say they hit a certain muscle group, you know, three times a week, but it's like a back-to-back day or like just having one day in between. Um, and they're not prioritizing things like their rest or their sleep or the nutrition uh, to ad- adequately recover before they're hitting it for the second time. So I think um, in terms of muscle recovery, making sure you're actually recovered before hitting it a second time. That might sound a little bit like uh, Dor Anthony, but I think it, it definitely is overlooked. Um, and I think in terms of your nutrition, um, like getting like just hitting your calories is another one. Um, not making excuses to skip meals or um, not not necessarily meal timings. I think that's a little bit too too specific. But I think yeah, getting all your meals in where you need to get them in, um, and then just like the recovery between between times hitting them, I think are two very simple ones that are overlooked. So, yeah, that's Rick. spot on. Something that I find to keep in mind with the muscle soreness is the degree of the soreness too. Agree yeah. 100%. But I feel like some people might like, oh, my quad's a little bit sore when I tense it. I can't, can't train legs this week. Sorry. Um not the fact, not 100% true, but like some people might run with that to skip the leg day. I know I would have when I was younger. Um, but with the recovery side of things, first thing I would say is like lifestyle, obviously. Like your lifestyle, it's not just your post-workout meal that's like your recovery hack. It's your whole entire 23 other hours of the day. You know, are you sleeping well like are you sleeping enough are you getting you know they say you know you need eight hours sleep but oftentimes we give ourselves eight hours but it takes us you know half an hour to get to sleep and then we're having like a couple of wake-ups in the middle of the night and then it might actually be your total six and a half hours so adequate sleep of course protein like if you're not working towards a protein goal and not consistently hitting that it's likely just going to correlate to that perceived recovery being off if that's the case and then managing is so underrated bodybuilding what's that which one's underrated i think rick's frozen a bit Yeah, I was going to uh-huh. say, I don't know if it was me or you guys, but I'm getting like every second word on Rick. But I was just going to say, sleep is so underrated for gym. Like, wow. And you only really know when, when your sleep takes like a real hit, you know? Mm, you definitely feel that. Oh, mate, it's unreal. Like, I even you and your story sometimes, you like had the worst sleep last night, but, you know, you're still going to come up and get at it. And I'm sitting there like, fuck, bro, you must feel like ass, man. Especially mm. if you get like consistent eight hours every single night. That one bad night can just set you in such like a shitty mood. And it's like... Yeah. All your hunger signals are all fucked and your training's fucked, your recovery from the day before is cooked, your mood's out, you're like, you know what it is? You don't have the same like outlook and thing. Oh, mate. Yeah. Rick, 100% agree with you. Sleep underrated as for recovery. 100%. 100%. Am I back now? Am I back all good? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you're dipping. I'm dipping. <laughs> the Bali Wi Fi. Uh,. Still a little bit off. <laughs> yeah, the good old Bali Wi-Fi. I think I'm it's a little bit better. Is that? Uh, maybe go on. Go on to the next question. 
yeah, sweet. I'll just touch on what I was going to say anyway with that question. So probably one thing that I see as well when I get clients come from either other coaches or coaching themselves is just way too much sets in a workout. So they'll come to you doing like 30 sets on day one, 25 sets day two. So also not doing too much per muscle group every day, um, I think could be helpful. So splitting the volume over a couple of days um, rather than just smashing it all on one day doing like a bro split type of thing. Um, And I think Rick mentioned it as well is just protein intake is number one. Like making sure you're hitting your protein, hitting your calories, and obviously total macronutrients across the day. Do you have any volume landmarks, Mace? Like, I know you said like 30 sets would be too much. Divide that over like, three, you know, throughout a couple of days a week. But would you say um, seeing people kind of like overshoot with the stimulus or the volume that they think is needed, would you give like a general kind of range? Like, I don't know, it could be example anywhere from 12 to 18 working weekly sets per muscle group would be like a good base. And then working either up or down around that, depending on whether it's like a weak or, or a strong muscle group. Like, do you find, I don't know, throughout your own experience, coaching anecdotally, anything like that, that there is maybe a sweet spot or a sweet range within like, you know, five or six working sets um, you can give? I think dependent on the individual across the week, I think it will be dependent and probably something I've changed my mind on just recently. So with the coach that I've started with now, he's got me training shoulders five days a week. So it's kind of like, because that's my leg and body part. And I was like, fuck, it's a lot. But then they're actually growing for fucking once. (laughs) So it's kind of like, usually I would look at that, but then I wouldn't be able to do that amount of volume in one session or two sessions because my shoulders would be fried. Um, I think what I'm probably looking at there too is even from a performance standpoint. So to give an example, I had a client who just started with me two weeks ago um, and they came from another coach and they were doing around 27 to 30 sets per workout. And then I asked the question, I was like, Okay, cool. So on your first two or three exercises, are you just like full just fluffing them because you're trying to save energy for the back end? And she's like, 100%. And I'm like, cool. So she's got 15 sets on her first day. She's like, I can fucking train hard as through all 15 because she's trying to make the most of those sets rather than conserve energy for the next 29 sets. She's got to fucking perform. So um, I found like I wouldn't say there's individual target. Rick might um, have have an idea of what he does, but it's all on the individual. If someone wants to grow their glutes, they'll probably get a lot more volume going to the glutes. If mm-hmm. someone wants to bring up their chest, they a lot more volume going to the chest. So for me, I've got a big chest and big back. So I'm not really doing much volume on chest and back, but I've got a fuckload on shoulders and thighs and tries and quads because they're my yeah. lagging body parts. So usually I probably wouldn't go that high, but because they're lagging, you'll probably throw a little bit more volume in there anyway. Yeah, volume distribution. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then being too... Trigger happy with intensity techniques, I think a lot of people do as well. Yeah. Yes, they do like go past that proximity to failure. And as we know, most people in the gym are probably not going anywhere near failure. But when they do the intensity techniques, they're ensuring that they are actually going to. But if you're just like far out, like when I used to train, if I did a set that didn't have a drop set in it, I thought this is a waste of time. So things like that where your fatigue exceeds your recovery ability. And if you dig yourself so much of a recovery pit, it's almost like your body has to use so much of its resources just to recover the fatigue that there's nothing left to actually add new muscle tissue. So it's very, it's in our mindset naturally, like we're driven individuals to like more is better, but often we're training less is actually more. It's more about what you actually do in the sets and not, about how many you do that matters most. And I've seen it time and time again with clients that come to me doing super high volumes. We start them off with low volume with the intention to, you know, potentially push up as we go along. And then I, they'll ask me, and I actually got this yesterday, 
hey, Rick, like, how come the volume's, like, so low? Like, this looks light. I'm like, yeah, it might look light on paper, but if you do it properly, you should be, it should be brutal by, you know, week four. You won't, the first week you might not feel crazy fatigue. But another thing that I think a lot of people get trigger happy on is, like, jumping in way too high volumes, all the intensity techniques, no, like, um, lifestyle parameters with like good quality sleep hydration and um you know hitting their protein and calories consistently and then on the nutrition front with so what was the question in regards to like helping with energy across the day uh no so the question was in regards to how can i make the most of my nutrition for energy in the gym so i guess performance in the gym and then it'll probably link into recovery okay so the thing like we want to keep in mind is what's the primary fuel source for strength training, muscle glycogen. So you want to make sure that you've got a decent amount of carbohydrates. You wouldn't be going in, you know, with a steak and no carbohydrates whatsoever. Um, also, like this is where timing comes a little bit more important because like you might not eat for three hours and then just go straight into the gym. Your session's probably going to suck. It'll be okay, but you'll probably get lightheaded halfway through. You won't be as strong as you could be. Um, so, you know, ensuring that you're getting a decent hit of protein, carbohydrates, pre-workout. If you're in a building phase, you know, intra-workouts can help, like intra-workout carbohydrates. And then getting a, a meal in, like we sort of spoke about in the last podcast, Anthony, like, you know, within like 90 minutes pre-training um, and then with 90 minutes post-training, getting a protein and carbohydrate source, and that should help with the energy. But one of the best sayings I heard with like, what's the best pre-workout meal is your post-workout meal. And it's more about what you do across the entirety of the day, not just like in that acute training window. And this is something that I find like beginners usually like focus on those little like minutia, like what like pump product or pre-workout should I take to like get the best training? It's like, it's everything. It's not just that one thing. Majoring in the minors. No? Majoring in the minors. But literally, like, I know it's fucking boring, but, like, the biggest thing that's going to transform your recovery and your performance in the gym is sleep. Because anytime, and also there's a question that I got raised before it was about how to stay injury-free. Anytime I've got injured was when I had a shit night's sleep. So, mm. yeah, interesting. That's my thoughts there. Sweet. So I had. Was it your turn, Ricky? Yeah, you take this one. I'll take the next one. All right. Cool. Uh, so, go to meals for you boys in a fat loss phase, and then also like in a, a building phase. I was just going to give one each. All right. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go one each. All right. Do, wait, do you want to do? A, you want to do a snack as well, like a snack and a meal. Who snacks? You snack. Well, me, I snack. Well, all right, you try to get 6,000 calories in without snacking, bro. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, go. I would say, I would say in, a, in a building phase, peanut butter sandwiches at one stage were my best friends. I would have like two of those between meals. Like, sorry, I would have I would have it between meals twice throughout the day and it was like I found really helpful as like an additional like I think 450 calories or 500 calories just stack some peanut butter and some and strawberry jam on there and it was delicious. So that was like a good snack in the off season. And also like beans, like it's going to sound very like, like, oh, what the fuck? But like literally baked beans, you know, off season. Best, I think 
in terms of calories and how like easy it is to get down, I would chuck like three tins in a blender and I'd just drink it and it'd be like 1400 calories because there's no fat in beans at all. There's like 0.1 or 0.2 grams of fat for, per 300 grams. But I put that in a blender, good source of protein. I'm not really that good, but it was like beans. So I guess it's like, all right. And yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was amazing. So go-to meal in off season, cheap, affordable, delicious beans and peanut butter sandwiches. Um, they were mine. Probably not the best for bodybuilding advice, but got to get the calories in somehow. Just to, to add this in, for anyone that's listening that doesn't already like track their nutrition, don't just eat peanut butter sandwiches and beans because Ian's hitting his protein target too. So just sort of add that oh, into yeah, 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 like, nah, like this is getting his protein in and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this would be like, so for some context, this would be like, I reckon all the way up until maybe four and a half, 5,000 calories, a lot of my food is clean. Like a lot of it is just kind of single ingredients, a protein source, a carb source. And then when I really have to start pushing the limits, um, because I blend all my meals because I just don't really enjoy eating. That's just the type of person I am. So I kind of just blend everything and scoff it down. It's not an enjoyable part of the day. But to kind of get a little bit of that enjoyment back, I used to just chuck in some peanut butter sandwiches where I could. Um, and then I just found like the beans were like a really kind of um, easy option to get in that much calories. Kind of like two or three tins was like 1,400 calories and it was kind of like nice. And it's just it's just beans. Like the the, the macro um setup of it was was friendly there was no fats was wasn't too many monounsaturated fats either so just thought it was a good option but that were my two go-tos i found like they helped um and yeah really easy to get in like an additional two thousand calories just from like peanut butter sandwiches and beans sweet so we'll go build 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 and then cut 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 so then for Um, your build build meal of choice mason you get you've been seeing those cooking videos at the moment on instagram man you've been going master chef vibes yeah, yeah. Um, no, the main one would be the the rice flour, so cream of rice, because I can usually get in like twelve hundred calories for that meal, and it's super easily digestible. So, usually rice flour, some granola, protein powder, some sort of nut butter. So whether it's like almond butter or fucking peanut butter or whatever, um, and then some berries on top. Um, that's probably my. That's something I eat every day, regardless. And then when I go into a cut, I'll still have that meal, just pull the ingredient amounts down, so the quantity is down. Um, and then yeah like i was having like the the burgers and stuff that you would have seen me post but since then i'm obviously started with a new coach he's pretty much just given me a meal plan that i've stuck to um yeah pretty much with now it's just anything rice so whether yeah. it's like because my i just digest rice real easy so basically my day rice flour rice crackers cocoa pops white rice like you name a rice cakes with jam um so those are super easy to get down to um, and I find like the rice cakes and jam and the cocoa pops are probably the two, my two go-to right now. Cause I can just fill in any of the macro gaps with that. If I need more carbs, how many rice cakes and how much jam do I need or how much cocoa pops do I need? And it's super easily digestible and yeah, nice, nice high calories, low fat, that's, very easy. It's funny you mentioned that. And like, this isn't like a recommendation or anything like you don't have to do this, but like. I look across my day and all my direct carbohydrate sources are literally rice and fruit and that's it. And coconut water into a workout, but yeah, definitely same agree. Like, exact same. Yeah. So I'm a bit of a basic bitch when it comes to my meals, even though like it looks like on my Instagram, I try all weird things, which I do. But with um, the difference I really make, and I find this has helped me a lot over the years between like my building meals and my cutting meals is literally just the volume of veg and then the quantity of like the carbohydrate source and the 
fattiness of the meat. So like, for example, in a cart, a meal might be 200 grams of chicken, like 300 grams of like veg bulked, 100 grams of pineapple because pineapple with everything. And then like a depressing like 100 grams of rice. But then in like a build phase, it might be, um, you know, tenderloin steak, 400 grams of rice, like teriyaki, like kickerman, like sauce, and then a little bit less veg and then like a more calorie dense fruit, like mango or something. So I find like... Hey, is that me or is Ricky coming out again? Yeah, he's coming yeah. out, yeah. Is that better? I feel like the fattest cunt talking to you guys about beans and peanut butter sandwiches. And you're like, yeah, rice, <laughs> rice-based carb sources, <laughs> veggies in the off-season. Yeah, but you got a very high calorie target to hit, bro. You got like 6,000 plus calories to hit. So it's... Um... You, know, you know what? And that's, a, that's another good thing. I'll touch base to one of the first questions that we said. It's kind of like, um, Mace, I think it was you that said, people might be listening to this and think you guys know everything about nutrition. And it's kind of like, even me, I don't eat, I barely eat 200 grams of veggies a day. Like it's probably 250 grams of veggies per day, especially when my calories are high. Like everyone, every single person, doesn't matter who they are, will have shit that they they could do better. You know what I mean? So I think that's just another thing that they, on the back end of that first question that we asked about self-belief and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I also have no intention of changing that, Rick, just to let you know. So don't be on my ass about it. <laughs> I will be. When you got that much volume be. to eat, though, man, it's hard to get that much veggies in. That much fruit and veg, man. Like when you got that much volume of food to eat, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it is. A and tricky. the thing that people's advocate. We've got a greens powder. <laughs> Fucking greens powder. To play devil's advocate, because you're eating so much food. It's hard to miss on like the nutrient profile. But what I think a lot of people mess up um, when they're in like a dieted down state is they skip on the veggies, they skip on the fruit, and then they run the risk of becoming more deficient in like B vitamins, mm. zinc, magnesium. And then their energy's just trash and they blame like, oh, calorie deficit. And it's easy to claim, and yes, like there is going to be some fatigue come with, you know, being in a calorie deficit. But a lot of the times it's actually like a vitamin deficiency that's correlating towards feeling like shit. Cause I found that before I would just diet on fucking quest bars and protein shakes and wholemeal bread and eggs. And then now it's completely different and feels so much better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do you think behind that? Do you want to do, you want to do cut meals now? Like, or, or fat yeah, loss to meals? Just whatever it is. rip off some, Deficit meals that we'd run by, run through. Kangaroo steak, mushrooms, and Chobani yogurt. Yeah. The best. The best. Like 300, it's like 350 calories and it tastes delicious, especially if you're in a diet. Yeah, if you're in a diet, kangaroo steak. Season, season, season the kangaroo, like paprika, salts, peppers. Oh, cook that up. High, high heat pan, like 10 seconds aside. Mushrooms and yogurt, mate. The best. Yeah. Yeah. Kangaroo steak. 10 seconds aside, that's it. Yeah. Mace? What about you, Mace? Where'd you go to meals? Mine pretty much stays the same, man, to be honest. I don't really change too much. Um, If I do want something sort of like a low calorie, it'll be like fish and veg with like some sweet potato or something like that. Um, And that's pretty much what I will pretty much stick to. But nothing, I pretty much eat the exact same thing all the time and just change the amount of quantity of stuff. So still have the Cocoa Pops, it might change from 150 grams to 50, still have the rice flour, might be like 125 down to 75. 
I really don't change too much, but I don't get hungry. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm the same as you, Anth. I don't really like eating. Um, it's kind of annoying. It's just more of an inconvenience, if anything. So I yeah, know. I'm happy when the calories drop and the less I have to eat, the better. Not my own there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's a, a hack for consistency. Cause then mm. you don't have to think about things so much. It's already the yeah. meals you're flowing with and you just like adjust the amounts. Like I might get this, um, you know, whenever I make like an update to a, a client's nutrition, they've already had their meals prepped and they're like, oh, like, you know, what do I, like, what if, what do I do? Like, it's like, you can just like pull out some rice and like, mm. it's super simple. We don't need to change everything around. Um, I've used to really drastically change it and I used to always seek volume. Like I wanted to look six months pregnant after the end of every meal, just getting the biggest, fullest meal possible. I know you probably see on my stories I eat with like a mini fork. I still do, but I don't chase that volume as much anymore because I found it really, I don't know if there's some like psychological thing where the, the body picks up, like you've got all this food, but not many calories and it throws mm-hmm. off your hunger signaling. So in a cut now, I just like embrace, like I'm going to be full, I'm going to be hungry um, and that's okay. Um, but if I like get to the real tail ends and I'm, I'm eating something, not that you ever need, need to, but I would have like a blended frozen protein ice cream, which could literally just be as simple as 200 grams frozen strawberries, 200 grams ice cubes, 100 mil, 150 mil of water, whey protein. Blend it until the blender is about to explode. And then it's like a shake or, you know, zucchini oats with protein. So basically grate the zucchini, add the oats on top. And charisma potatoes when they're available to and pumpkin like in the air fryer, they hit, they hit. Yeah, well, skins are fucking hack and a half, man. It's so freaking low calorie. I had a um, a random meal combo yesterday. Tell me your thoughts on this, boys. Sourdough bread, <laughs> pumpkin smashed and like put over the the sourdough, mango on top, and then egg whites on top as an omelet. That sounds mad. Oh, I like it. Ants does not agree. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's too much so, veggies so, for him? Too much fruit. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like the take pumpkin that pumpkin out. <laughs> the pumpkin and the eggs warm. Yeah. So, so the bread, pumpkin, eggs are warm, and then it's just the mango that's cold. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I could get behind that. I, I think. Yeah, it doesn't sound horrible. Yeah, you know, like, I if I saw it on the menu, Rick, I probably wouldn't get it. But like, if I was no, out no. somewhere and I was like, this menu, I'd get it for sure. Like, I'd eat it. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Another week. Down, go. <laughs> Put in the recipe pack. <laughs> if I did my client recipe packs, man, they'd all leave me. They'd be like, what yeah, the really? fuck is this like trying to feed me? Like, how the fuck did he come up with this thing? Yeah. And all they'd just be like, is this guy Japanese? Like, yeah. why does all these meals, like, somehow resemble sushi? Mm. <laughs> uh, all right, next That's question. The, yeah. I've got no questions left on my one. That was I pretty much... Oh, actually, you know what? Yes, I did. I got one more. I had one more on um on Instagram. All right, this is this one here. How do you keep your eating in check throughout the year? Mm-hmm. Plan ahead. That's it. Question mark. Mate, so how, how do you keep it? I think I think it's seen. I think it's. I think it's more so from like a, uh, maybe like an adherence point of view. Like, how do you just stick to it all? Like, 
all the time. Do you want to go, Rick, or want me to go? Yeah. So enjoying the process is probably a major one. Giving yourself time for flexibility too, because I think a lot of people that struggle with consistency never actually give themselves a time to not be in a deficit, for example. But they're always dieting. They're always, you know, being restrictive and then they struggle with consistency and then they binge and then they gain some body fat and then they just diet again. So you zoom out over the year, the majority of the year, they're in a deficit. So I'd say one of the best things is to have periods where you actually allow yourself to grow and like eat in a calorie surplus, even maintenance phases. Something that helps me a lot is when I'm in my build phase, I'll have an off-plan meal once per week where I'll just go out for a meal out of choice. No, it's not a fucking cheat meal, but it's just a meal out of choice to enjoy with company. And that psychologically gives me a lot of relief to, you know, sweet, I'll get back to my nutrition, happy days. I think like it's always a good idea to like, of course, it's hard with the Instagram question boxes, but like suited to the individual's situation and what they mean. But what helps me is having those periods where I'm not dieting because that's usually when things are, are more challenging. And it's like your goals. How much do your goals drive you? How much do you enjoy like making progress? Because that is probably the biggest thing that pushes me to be consistent is how much I enjoy making progress and I enjoy how I feel and the opportunity to be able to transform the way that I look and feel. I think um, that's probably the biggest thing. So, yeah. Nice. What about you? Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that a lot of people rely on food too much for happiness. Like they kind of link feeling good to what they're eating rather than just like eating for performance like we have for all of history. <laughs> like mm. we've all kind of eaten for survival and for performance and now it's kind of like, oh, well, how much shit can I fit into if it fits your macros? Like they're always trying to chase that feeling. Um, so I think kind of looking at food from a different lens and looking at food from a performance um, and a health standpoint rather than just like how do I feel while I eat it like think about how you're feeling after you eat it um, so probably mm. improving relationship with food I think would be the biggest one but also giving yourself that little bit of downtime too like Rick said because if he's having one off plan meal a week let's say he's eating four meals a day that's 28 meals over the week if he's having one off plan meal he's still having 27 meals on track each week which is like what 94% consistency mm. so In a build I think phase kind of too. looking at it for more yeah, on a build and like yeah. you know what you know about nutrition, so your off-plan meals aren't fucking like a whole cake and a big bowl of carbonara pasta. Like it's probably what sushi, steak and veg, something along oh, those lines. There's nothing so, wrong with carbonara pasta in off-season, mate. Yeah. Come on, mate. <laughs> I would never go out and order pasta. Are yeah. you serious? And he's upset now. <laughs> if I ever eat out, my off-clean meal, Ricky's always Cabernet Barca in off-season. Like, oh, I'm sorry, hit, it, hit an herb there. I'm consistent about that. Yeah, nah. Pasta, pasta out, it's never a first choice. Never mm. a first choice. So I think just building an improving relationship with food is probably the biggest one. Mm. Yeah, that, that's kind of my thoughts on that. And, and viewing progress... As a light switch, fucks a lot of people up, I think, too. Mm. They think they're either on or off. So mm. they go into that fucking mindset and just self-sabotage. So mm. viewing your progress as a dimmer, not a light, not a light switch. So you can have periods where you're like, 
dial it down a little bit. Maybe you would like train four days instead of six days per week because sometimes they might just bury themselves thinking they're always got to be on. And then sometimes, you know, maybe if we ask the individual, like, what do you actually term as being like inconsistent with nutrition? They might actually not be that inconsistent, but they just held themselves to like this standard of like, I need to eat only clean foods or whatever, like the the fads that go around. So, but yeah, I think, think those are all real good points. I think the ability, one thing I just thought of there too, a lot of people get that peer pressure. So when they go out for, for dinner, everyone's like, oh, have some drinks, have some of this. So learning to say no, um, mm. I think is a big one too because, yeah, so many people go, it's like I've had clients say to me before, like, oh, I had all of my food planned out, I already knew what I was going to eat at the restaurant, but then everyone told me I had to get a pizza and seven margaritas. It's like, well, it's very mm. simple to say no, but again, it's that ability to say no because you feel like, you know, FOMO, it's like, well, you're still there. You're still, you know, with the people. You're still enjoying their company. You can still have a nice meal. You don't have to go overboard and just learn how to say no to those people around you. And if the people around you don't respect what you want to do, then they probably don't have your back and have your best interests at heart. The ones that matter don't mind. The ones that don't matter mind. And yeah. I think that's one of the best skills to learn, man. Like that's like if I didn't develop that skill, and this is like the back to the self belief thing like going out, partying every weekend, drinking all the time. If I didn't develop the skill to be able to say no to that, I'd probably still be doing that. And always, like I mentioned this in the last podcast, if if you're worried about what people think when you order something different than them on a fucking menu, why? Yeah. Why I does it matter? Ordering with you boys, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting judged flat, flat out. <laughs> yeah, but I think so- of that too, man. Like... um and it gets easier the more you do it. Like when I stopped drinking and stopped partying and stuff, you know, when you'd go out with those same people, they'd be like, oh, come on, just have a drink or whatever. But then once you do it enough times, now when I go out with those people or go to a dinner or whatever, it's not even a question anymore because they know hmm. that I'm not going to drink. They know that I'm not going to eat what they're eating. They're like, nah, you want to order everything together? And they're like, oh, Mace will just order his own thing and he'll drink water. Like it's not you a teach people to treat. Exactly, exactly, man. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. It's always hard at the start, I, and then it gets easier the lot the more you do it, like anything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think my approach to answering that question is going to be a little bit different point of view, but I think um, I heard something the other day, and I was like, "Wow, this is actually amazing." So, just to reset the question, I think it was, "How do you keep your eating in check?" All right, so like you were saying, developing a better relationship with food, mates. But I think one potentially even better is you're going to meet a you're going to meet this beautiful life-changing person in 12 months from now and that's just your future your future self and all the decisions you make now are going to affect how they are in the future in a sense so i kind of think i think more so in bigger decisions but you can also kind of narrow it down to the decisions you make with the food choices you make um but it's kind of like will will future ant be happy with this choice will future ant look back on this and be like oh that was that was a good thing to do for your goal or whatever it is and that might sound a little bit fucking um like anal when you're talking about those things with food choices as well um but i think i don't think it's a bad thing to use that type of mindset to justify like what you're eating either especially if obviously your nutrition is important enough to ask a question whoever it was that asked it um thinking like all right how do i stay on check not necessarily how do i do it it's kind of like what would be what would be the worst case scenario if I didn't eat it, eat, eat what I'm supposed to eat? Like, is this going to trigger like uh, just this habit of eating shit that I know I'm not supposed to eat? And then saying no is just going to progressively keep on getting harder and harder and harder. And it's like, 
like in six months from now, you can have either six months worth of results or six months worth of excuses. And it's kind of like up to present present individual now to make those decisions. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I just think everything affects everything in a sense. So like how you do anything is how you do everything. So um, yeah, if you know you're supposed to be doing it, do it. If you're not supposed to do it, then then don't do it. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. What would you say to a client who asks that question like with regards to, like let's say it happens consistently, but like they keep falling off track, like this is already a habit. How would you bring them to get, how would you help them get stay on track? Um, I'd probably ask them to have a bit more of a think about what their why is. Maybe they've lost it along the process. Maybe they've kind of become complacent or they think, oh, you know, I've done a month of really good eating and really good training. I can kind of put the handbrake on now. Um, and it's just maybe, you know, getting those progress photos back up or, under- or jumping on a call with them or understanding like, you know, is this still something you want to do? Because at the end of the day, we can give people, you know, all of our knowledge and all of our experience, but them doing it is up to them like you can't really force them to do it so unless unless they're going to be as equally on board with the process as you are about giving them advice for the process it, it's a it's a dance at the end of the day it's a tango both of you have to have your foot in the circle it has to be this fluid flow of client coach both wanting the same outcome yeah. and that type of synergy between the two of them is going to create and going to generate the best possible outcome for the client and for you and the client as well so having them on board is going to be the best thing and i think if if someone no longer wants to do it or they're hopping off the horse, like it happens to everybody, Mace, I'm sure you in the last however many years you've been training, you've had years or, or phases where you didn't give it 100% and some that you did. And maybe it was just a matter of you needed someone in your corner to give you a little bit of pat on the back or a little bit of push or to say some encouraging words. But it's very, it's very, oh, there's another thing. It's very sad to see how many people are dying for an encouraging word, you know, like everyone's kind of just living through nonchalantly and they don't know that the things that they're doing, like, you'll be the first person to criticize yourself when you do something wrong, but you'd be the last person to give yourself a pat on the back when you deserve it. You know what I mean? So I think having it that eye out as a coach, um, and you know, this can also lead into our next question. Like, what do you think makes a good coach? But I think having that eye out and understanding um, certain patterns when people do good things and and positive reinforcement or that encouragement that really does go a long way for a client, especially if they have you as a coach, there's obviously some level of respect or looking up that they have for you. Um, And those words of encouragement from you in their head could probably be, um, you know, in the, invaluable in a sense so i think um them understanding their why or helping them understand their why a little bit better or maybe goal changing maybe they're maybe you know for example could be in a gaining phase and they're just losing a little bit of self-relief because an additional body fat or adipose tissue distribution or whatever it is and they're like fuck i really want to enter a diet phase but you as a coach think look you could just really rinse this out for a couple more months and your mind's is going to be the only thing holding you back maybe understanding that explaining it is a process or it is it is a journey that like you are supposed to get uncomfortable this is a good part um you know you're supposed to be feeling these feelings they're all normal um stuff like that i think could definitely help get someone back on track yeah for sure what do you guys reckon though and did you just breathe <laughs> i don't think you breathed or blinked Why? for that whole, for that whole talk. Mars right here oh sorry guys <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, that's spot on spot on uh, but yeah that's what i would, that would that, that's what i think i would say or even the alternative to doing it like why is it that you seek to coach because i wasn't happy with myself because i didn't know what to do how did that make you feel x y and z do you mm. want to avoid those feelings yes how can we avoid those feelings together if it's if those feelings are something that you want to avoid and you don't want to be there and again then having that as like the motivation to like, oh, I don't want to feel this feeling, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe even that could be a powerful enough why for an individual because, you know, it's someone feeling, uh, if it's, 
yeah, actually, you know, I'm going to leave that there. Ignore what I said in the last five seconds. But yeah, that's I'm going to I'm going to lock that in. Mace, what do you reckon? No, I agree, man. I agree, and I think one thing I, I was hoping you said that you did is like at the end of the day, it's we both have a responsibility. The coach has a responsibility, and the client has a responsibility. And if one person isn't holding up their end of the deal, it, it just doesn't work. Because if you give 100% as a coach and they give zero as a client, 100 times zero is zero, and the opposite's the same, right? So. I listened to a podcast the other day and the whole podcast was never time, any, never multiply anything by zero. Like it's a mathematics equation, right? Because it always equals zero. So if you spend 10 years training, building the body that you want, blah, 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 blah. And then you fucking speed down the freeway and crash drunk driving. You've now just multiplied all of that hard work by zero. Like you're either in hospital tripled or you're dead. So that's good. I think, yeah, making sure that you are both on the same page. And I think, like you said, reassessing the goals is super important because I know for myself, my goals change often. Like over the last five years of training, it's gone from wanting to do martial arts to then wanting to do more like of a you know, CrossFit style training to now being back into the bodybuilding side of things. So doing all of that type of shit, you need to be able to reassess the goal for the client. And sometimes you might not be the coach that can help them. If they want to change from freaking bodybuilding to calisthenics, well, Maybe they need to go see someone else. So I think being answer open to those conversations. Yeah, answers a man, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Flexibility. <laughs> Please don't inquire for calisthenics coaching. No. <laughs> With myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great, great point for coaches. Like don't just dictate and just say, like, come on, stick to it. Like ask questions, get an understanding of where the client's at. Actually assess where the client's at. And the thing that shift and giving that option to the client, they're like, look, like at the end of the day, these are your goals. If you don't want to strive for fat loss anymore because you're finding it very hard to stick to sort of showing that you're not being consistent, would you prefer to just go into, you know, a maintenance period, which is sort of hold, get your routine locked back in. Maybe you got some things that are stressful at work and then we go back in, or we just go into a build focus Put some muscle on so then that way when you go into the fat loss phase or build your calories up, it's going to be a lot more enjoyable for you. So I think as a coach, showing how much you care for the client, like what's the saying? It's like the client won't care unless you show how much you care. And I think it's the client won't care how much you know until you show how much you care. Is that right? Yeah. Spot on. And it's it's 100% a team effort and you don't want to, you know, feel like you're putting in all the work and your coach isn't giving you anything back and then vice versa. It's a team effort and that's what it's all about. No, I think that's very important as well, for sure. Yeah. Sweet. So we're running up about on the hour. Did you boys want to cover like maybe one more? Have you got time? Yeah. Um, I want to ask Mason the goat question. I want to see what he says. Let's go. We'll finish it. Did you, did, did you listen to the last podcast with me and Ricky? We asked the question about the goat. No, nah, I've got it downloaded. I listened to that probably today on the way to the gym. Oh, don't fucking lie, bro. You just say you're not going to listen to it. I listen to most of Rick's podcast, man. I actually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a very honest man. Yeah, yeah. This is the question. The question. Question one is you, you have to fuck a goat and nobody <laughs> finds out. This man. I said I'm going to ask you a goat question, bro. I, just said I thought it, it was something about Arnie or Seabum. I didn't know we were talking about this. <laughs> I completely forgot. I erased it from my memory. <laughs> All right, yes, mate. Yeah. I just want to see your thought pattern and like just explain it, yeah. But 
but you've got to actually think this is happening. Otherwise, you won't take it too seriously. So you, get to, you have to fuck your grave, but nobody knows about it. You can take it to your grave. Like, literally, no one will find out about it, yeah? just It's like mm-hmm. your own little dirty secret you'll die with. I know the, no, I know the option, analogy. I've heard this question before. Okay, all right. Well, option number two, you don't do it, but everybody's under the impression you did, and you can't convince them otherwise. Like, you can't just sit there and say, oh, well, you know, my, my dad doesn't believe that I'll do it. Like, no, the question is that everybody's under the impression you did and that's it. You can't escape the new reputation you now have for yourself. Like, which one do you choose? Second. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really what? give a fuck what anyone else thinks. I'd rather people think that I've done it and like me being like, oh, think whatever you want. I haven't done it. So that's an easy one for yeah. me. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Fair enough. Always fair enough. <laughs> we will end on one more question because I don't want to end on that one. <laughs> we'll go. Um, we'll go. This is a question I got, but what we can do is say like top three things that you guys like to do in your downtime outside of training or working. So the question was, what do you like to do in your downtime? So if you could say three things that you got time to yourself, some free time. We're not training. We're not. Um, you know, watching. Not training. I was going to say a no fat joke before, um, but yeah, we're not training, we're not working. We've got three things that you could choose to do in your downtime that you do currently. What would they be? Mace, you want to take this one first? Yeah, cool. So number one, I'm sure everyone will know, it'll be either like go for a hike or go to the beach. One of those two, something out, of, out in nature um, would definitely be number one. Um, number two, <laughs> probably watching UFC. Um, I hammer the fuck yeah. out of that. It's literally all I watch on um, on YouTube. Like every time I'm eating a meal, UFC's on, either laptop or on uh, on the TV. Um, yeah. So that's probably number two. And then number three, these aren't really in order though because those top two would probably be on par. Um, so probably number three. But yeah, see so the time outside in nature, um, watching UFC um, and then time with my partner would probably be number three, yeah. whether that's like same thing, going for a walk, going out for dinner, um, you know, going to a sauna sesh, gone, obviously said no training, but going to the gym with my partner, doing something with her. Um, yeah. is always super nice, man. So anything with her is always a fucking vibe. So always happy to do that. That'll definitely be probably number one. Legend. And I can do um, the first, um, uh, I can do the first two with her as well. So it works out perfect. I can blend all three together. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Does she like it? Uh, I would say Bro, she does. Yeah, we watched the full like John Jones and Habib doco the other day. She loves it, bro. Yeah, so it's good. You've got no choice, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always on. So, spot on. And your top three things to do um, when you chill that time? Well, I would say potentially either wrestling or jujitsu being um if training is not one of them i would say that would be the second one just as a just as an activity or a sport or a, or a side hobby something like that would definitely be the wrestling or jujitsu really enjoy um i would say second one some type of either reading or youtube something educational on that front like i'm always i'm always on I'm always doing something with that. If I'm not, if I'm not watching a video, whether it's a podcast or, you know, more plates, more dates, video, some new training thing, athlete next saying that, you know, doing crunches is killing your gains a certain way. Um, I'm reading. I think those two definitely there as well. And third one, oh, mate, I don't have much spare time outside of that with uni and work and that. So I'm, I don't think I have a third one actually, just those training yeah. and training and, and, fucking reading i guess <laughs> it's so boring <laughs> that's funny is as always like 
thinking about what my answer was going to be. And I'm very aware of this already. Like I struggle for downtime. I have like, yeah, I'm just gonna say that. like I don't have much downtime at all. <laughs> it's like toxic productivity. And like, if I look at the things that are like, I wouldn't say it's toxic. It's just, it's what I enjoy to do. But the things that I do that are my downtimes are still somewhat work related or like educational or increasing my knowledge where, but one of the things that I do do like that I live by every single day, walks in nature. If I don't do that, my head's going to fall off or be a mess. So walks in nature, um, saunas. I like that again. So it gets me away from my phone. I can just sit there, be present. <sighs> the third one. I would say probably reading, but it's not something that I go through waves with reading, but listening to a podcast, watching YouTube, but then the YouTube is always like educational sort of stuff, yeah. or like deep, intense philosophy. But at the moment, the three things that I, I do the most of my downtime is feed the pup I'm looking after, pat the pup I'm looking after, and get attacked by the pup I'm looking after, which has <laughs> been very good for my mental health. Something we spoke about just before you hit record was you can't be depressed when you got a dog around. No, no, that's a. If there was a question of like how do I fix my mental health, I've um, I've definitely solved a lot of those issues for the past week. Definitely having a little puppy. It's hard to be sad about life when you got this little joy just around you all the time. And this podcast probably going for four hours now because now I'm just going to talk about my dog. Um, So you always want to hang around. Awesome. I'm joking. Where you go, where are you going after this? Why, why did you say before you couldn't keep the dog? Are you like moving states or whatever? Um, so the puppy's like three months old and was found at a job site across the road. And we've taken her in, we've looked after her, and now she's like claimed us as her parents. Um, me and the girl who's staying at the place here that I'm staying. Um, and the girl, she's leaving November in the middle of November. I'm leaving in late December. And I just, as much as I love the dog, it would just be selfish of me to claim it, look after it, and then leave for, you know, a couple of months and then come back. So I just couldn't do that to the puppy. So you got a friend. What's that? Did you just bring it down? I think like for all the vaccinations and things you got to get, the flights, it's, it's like you're running like upwards of like you could get to like 30K or something like that. So what? It's like getting a dog down here? Mm. No. Don't have to game, stay yeah. in like, um, don't have to get kept in custody for ages as well or some shit. Yeah. Quarantine. Yeah. yeah. Be traumatic so, as fuck. But I'll, I'll be in touch. I'll be able to visit and um, for sure. I'll cry on Monday because I'll give a, we were supposed to give her back on Friday. And I was like, nah, we need another weekend with her. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, uh, it's never nice. easy, bro. It's never easy. That's sad. I'm sad for you, Rick. Uh, it is what it is. It definitely driven me to like get a get a puppy in future for sure. Never wanted kids, but definitely always wanted a puppy. So that's uh, on the future cards. A puppy can be your kid. Exactly. Makes you're going to have kids. That's a fuck. That's a deep question, but no. <laughs> no, no interest. <laughs> no zero interest. You yeah. get a dog? Yeah, fuck yeah. We've already planned, and we already know what dogs we're getting. That once we get a place, no, man, we'll be we'll be getting the pups, bro, hundred percent. So yeah, fucking love dogs, man. <laughs> Me and Mason are gonna be. You know, those annoying parents that just like brag about the kids <laughs> and how amazing they just talk about their accolades. That's what me and Mason. 
dogs. Yeah. <laughs> weird, annoying parent that just any opportunity I get, I'm talking about my dog. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Man, Mace, what else what are you talking about? Mace, what are you doing now? You said you got a, a client at the start of the week or something that you were talking to. Are you still doing coaching? Yeah, yeah. So I'm back doing coaching now. So I've pretty much set up because um, I left, obviously, to do study. So studying yep. a diploma of counseling and also a diploma of nutrition. Um, so I've put on hold my psych yep. um, degree just for now. Um to give you a yep. quick rundown, the reason I even started the psych degree was just to learn. I never really cared about getting the degree, whereas now I actually yeah, want yeah. to implement something into my business and the counseling diploma is way fucking quicker and I can pretty much start my own counseling business as soon as I finish that degree um, and get insured and registered, um, which would be super helpful. So I'll implement that as an online service as well um, once I finish that diploma. Um, and then, yeah, just got back into coaching uh, recently and then, yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. So got the back end set up, got the app set up, Exercise library cool. done, educational platform in, and yeah, now now just the fun part starts, man. So it's good, it's enjoyable. Uh, it's yeah, so ready well to roll. How are you finding no limits, bro? I love it, man. I really do enjoy it. I was talking to someone not too long ago about it. It doesn't even feel like work. Yeah. Like I remember before, like I remember before, like after school or um, you know, when I first got into it, like that's what I would do in my spare time. Like I'd create weird case studies of someone with like a torn bicep or something and like making them a program for, you know, a, a phallus phase or a gaining phase or um, like a, like a, like a back specialization phase or something like that. Like I've got so much fucking written programs that I'll just never use and never tap into from before this. So doing this stuff, it's like, I, I genuinely enjoy it, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah, it's really good. I love it. I love all my clients. They're beautiful people. Um, everyone's, everyone's, yeah, got really lovely listening ears and it's, and it's really rewarding. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a very rewarding job, man. It's fucking awesome. Like, I think it's one of the, like, in my opinion, it's one of the best jobs on the planet, man. Like, it's especially if you're passionate about health and fitness and you get like, man, like, I'm the exact same as you guys, man. Like, all my clients are absolute weapons um, and it's just so good to be working with people who just want to be better. It's fucking yeah, so rewarding, man. It's the best. It's the best thing because then they're so inquisitive and they ask mm. questions and they just, they understand and it's not like, there's not 105 excuses. Like, it's yeah. really good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, great. Best job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's good, man. All right. Boys, absolute pleasure. First round table wrapped up. Thank you very much for joining. Any That's final good. words you want to leave before we finish up? No, man. Just thank you um, both for having, having me on. And, uh, man, keep killing it, bro. It's awesome to see you progressing. You too, brother. Yeah, thank you. Lovely. Thank you for having us on. And next time you go out, you should definitely order some spaghetti cabernet. It's like... Slap- <laughs> He's not going to let that leave that one down. All right, it's fine. Next off play meal, I'll get it. Don't I want to see you. I want to see you. The one time I do get upset and angry is when I have a bad meal, so I'll be calling you uh, out. It's not right. that bad, Rick. It's really fucking delicious. All right, drop in the comments, spaghetti carbonara, yes or no, and then we might yes. see if I'll give it a crack. <laughs> <laughs> all right boys all right thanks guys have a good day right, see you later, bye, bye.